You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. A lot of you were aware a couple of weeks ago uh, that uh, Hurricane Hillary uh, kind of ran through uh, California and it caused just massive amounts of rain and flooding and mudslides. And one network news organization, um, as many of them did, sent out reporters and they're kind of there on the scene and they were kind of uh, covering a lot of the catastrophic events as they were unfolding. And it was really interesting to me that one reporter uh, found a woman who is sitting on the roof of her house. And she's just watching all these trees and cars and just all this debris just floating by her downstream as she's just sitting there watching this on her house. And he climbs up there and he kind of just sits down with this woman as she's watching the events and As they're both kind of sitting there on the roof, he notices this red hat. And it kind of started floating by. And then when it got down to about 20 feet from them, it turned around and started coming back upstream to about 20 feet beyond where they were sitting. And then the hat would go back downstream, 20 feet back upstream. And he sat there and watched this seven or eight times. And he finally says to this woman, do you have any idea what that red hat is? The woman said, that's just my crazy husband. He said he was going to mow the lawn come hell or high water. (laughs) The problem is, is that we've become a culture that is so focused on the lawn while the whole house is floating downstream. We're continuing in our series we started last week called The Road to Recovery. And this series is really kind of based upon the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, which we've kind of been talking about that, that Praise Community Church is going to be uh, launching uh, that ministry here beginning on uh, Tuesday, October 17th. And what I love about Celebrate Recovery is it is a Christian faith-based, Bible-based ministry that takes the 12 steps of recovery and it provides a biblical foundation for each of the 12 steps. It's interesting that when you go back and kind of look at the original Alcoholics Anonymous, when they started back in the 1930s, it was solidly based upon the Bible and Jesus Christ as the only higher power. And it really kind of got watered down and uh, replaced with other options for a higher power. But that's not how it began. It's not its foundation. And once that is lost, any recovery program that moves away from the Bible or moves away from Jesus Christ as the only higher power and that that really is the basis for people truly being able to overcome hurts, habits, and hangups. Uh, it's only a matter of time before that kind of a recovery program will become very, very ineffective. 
So one of the foundational beliefs of, of the Celebrate Recovery is that Jesus Christ is the only higher power, no exceptions. And like I said last week, all of us in this room are in need of recovery in some area of our lives. None of us are perfect. We live in a fallen world. We're, we're, uh, we're affected by our own sins. We're affected by the sins of others. Uh, and again, there, there are always areas in every one of our lives where we need to be working on those issues and we all stand in need of recovery. As a matter of fact, whenever I talk about about Celebrate Recovery, I intentionally avoid, avoid talking about it as merely a recovery program for people who are struggling with drug and alcohol addictions. Because anytime you hear about a recovery program, that's kind of our automatic go-to. Oh, those are for people that struggle with drug and alcohol addictions. As I said last week, only one-third of the people who participate in Celebrate Recovery are drug and alcohol addicted. The other two thirds are working on issues like codependency. It could be issues like eating disorders, sexual addictions, pornography, anger, gambling, lying, grief, abuse, just to name a few. And again, Celebrate Recovery, it is a ministry for everyone because every one of us struggles with certain issues in our lives. And again, the world is imperfect and every one of us in this room, we have been hurt, we have hurt others because we have refused or will not recognize what our issues are. So we just kind of allow those issues to kind of just manifest affecting us and affecting um, others. And again, every one of us need recovery from something. And the thing we talked about last week was the steps to recovery, they're the same for everybody. Okay, regardless of what your problem is, whatever issue you're dealing with, it doesn't change the steps of recovery. The steps of recovery are consistent. They're unchanging, just like God's word. And we talked about last week that the root cause of all of this really, again, kind of comes out of our desire to want to be God, not to be like God. We want to be God. We want to be in control. We want to be calling the shots in life. And one of the things I talked about last week is oftentimes the more insecure we are, the more we wanna be in control of everything and everyone. You know, that desire for me to try to control somebody or to try to control events, a lot of that just comes out of my own insecurities. And when we try to control everything and everyone, we end up, you know, fatigued, we end up frustrated and failed. So how do we break out of that? How do you break out of those things? The number one thing is you gotta get beyond denial. Denial is the number one issue that keeps us from moving into recovery. And again, we'll find ways to excuse and to justify ourselves. My anger, oh, it's really, it's not a problem. My drinking, oh, I could quit any time. Gambling, oh, I, I could stop doing that anytime. I just don't want to. We kind of get into that place where we kind of talk about, oh, I can handle it. it. It's really not that big of a problem. It's not affecting, it's not hurting anyone else. We'll talk about things like, you know, time heals all wounds. And that's just simply not true. Time numbs a lot of the things that have hurt us 
But when those issues are left unresolved, undealt with, time heals nothing in regards to those. And again, we try to excuse ourselves and we'll accuse others. Well, if my wife would just do this and that, our marriage would be a lot better. Again, we excuse ourselves or we justify our problems, our issues, but we'll accuse other people. Well, if that person would just change, if this person would just do this differently, then everything would be okay. And again, we just play the blame game. We accuse others and excuse ourselves And again, when that happens, we just tend to become very, very short-sighted and eventually you'll just become blind to all of your own issues. So we have to learn how to deal with denial. One time I saw a lost and found ad in the paper and it kind of, again, was a great illustration of denial. And here's what it said, lost, a three-legged dog, blind in the right eye, deaf in the left ear, right ear missing, broken tail, recently neutered, answers to the name Lucky. Well, that's what I call denial. So what's the solution? I mean, what is it that will make us kind of finally move out of denial and to really kind of begin to deal uh, with our issues and our problems? Unfortunately, one of God's antidotes for denial is pain. Now, let me just be really, really clear here. God is not the author, he is not the cause of your pain. God is not the one that's causing those things that bring pain into your lives. Oftentimes the pain we experience occurs when we're kind of just living and operating in denial. So God is not the cause, he's not the author of your pain, but he can surely use it to accomplish his plans and purposes in your life. God will will take your pain, and and sometimes this is just self-inflicted. Sometimes it's pain that's brought to us by other people. Again, God is not the source of that, but boy, he can sure use it as a catalyst to kind of begin to move us into a place of recovery. Sadly, we rarely change until we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Many of you have heard this before. We don't change until our fear of change is exceeded by the pain. And most people never really ever move into recovery until they're forced to move into it, until really they're kind of backed into a corner and there's just no other option. Now, I want you to know that I think God uses uh, what I would call three denial busters. And these are things that God will use to kind of wake you up and to kind of get your attention, to force you to kind of begin to do something uh, to resolve this. The first denial buster that God uses is crisis. And I see this happen all the time. You know, where a person's just got a lot of stuff, a lot of issues going on in their lives that manifest uh, in their job, in their relationships. And so all of a sudden, they'll just lose their job. Um, Or maybe that, you know, their spouse leaves them. Or they, uh, maybe the death of a a spouse or the death of, of a child. 
It could be, you know, bankruptcy. It's just some kind of a crisis happens and all of a sudden it just awakens you uh, to, I gotta do something with what's going on here. The second denial buster that God uses is confrontation. And confrontation, a lot of times, is just when somebody really loves you enough or cares enough about you to say, you're blowing it. Somebody loves you enough to confront you in both truth and love and says, you're missing out, man. You are about to lose your spouse. You are about to lose your family. You are about to lose your health. You're about to lose your job. Somebody cares, somebody loves you enough that they'll come to you and confront you in truth and love. I came across this Jewish proverb uh, this week. I was telling Doug about it. Doug said, oh, this is an old one. I'd never seen this before. Here's what it says. If somebody calls you a horse's rear, ignore it. If two people call you a horse's rear, look in the mirror. If three people call you a horse's rear, get a saddle. If three people call you a workaholic, get a saddle. If three people call you codependent, get a saddle. If three people tell you you're a very controlling individual, buy a saddle. Again, pain oftentimes, it can be kind of like a fire alarm in our lives. Pain is something that will maybe just kind of go off and it's alerting us that something bad is happening. Something's wrong in your life. And again, any of us, if you've got a smoke detector in your house and that smoke detector goes off, you don't just throw a shoe at it and, and try to make that dumb thing go off. No, you, you, you hear the smoke detector, you realize, hey, there, there, there may be something going on. I need to kind of check out. I needed to kind of look around the house and make sure there's nothing happening. Often in our lives when we hear the pain come out, when that smoke detector of pain goes off, instead of dealing with it, we just try to cover up the sound to make it stop or to make it go away. And oftentimes we'll use things like food or uh, sex, alcohol. We'll use many, many different things to try to cover over that, to make that go away. The third denial buster that God uses is a catastrophe. And I often say, man, I hope it doesn't ever have to come down to that uh, in your life. And by that, I mean, that's just kind of when the bottom of life completely just falls out. I mean, you kind of just land and you have hit rock bottom, you know, mentally, emotionally, financially, relationally, when the bottom kind of just falls out. Oftentimes when this happens, again, sometimes it, it's, it's God just saying, I, I'm just gonna step back here and I'm just gonna let the natural consequences of your behavior kind of just fully fall on you. I'm gonna allow the foolish decisions that you're making, I'm just gonna step back and I'm just gonna allow them to run their course. And again, God's not the author, he's not the cause of it, but God will sometimes use catastrophic things that are going on in our lives and he'll just step back and he'll say, I'm gonna just allow this to happen because I need to get your attention. Last week we talked about that first step in recovery, the letter R, again, is just to realize I'm not God. I'm not in control. As much as you think you're in control, 
you're not. So it's realizing I'm powerless to control myself. I'm powerless to control others. I'm powerless to control the things uh, that are going around, on around me. And again, I'm powerless to manage my unmanageable life. Every one of us needs God. And so this is really the first step. Realize I am not God. And we would call this the reality step. The second step is what I would call the hope step. Step one says, I admit it. I'm helpless. I'm powerless. I'm not in control of anything. And I need God. There is a higher power. There is someone who is in control of all things. And he is the only one who can help me. So the letter E in recovery is earnestly believe that God exists. You're not God, but earnestly believe that God does exist, that you matter to him, and that he has the power and the means and the plan to help you recover. The second step is based on Hebrews eleven six. I love this verse. Anyone, anyone includes everyone, right? Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So there's three parts uh, to taking step two in this road to recovery. The first again is just acknowledging God's existence. And again, most people have no problem with this. As a matter of fact, a recent George uh, Gallup poll found that 96% of people in America believe there is a God. And less than 2% of people really identify themselves as atheists. Now, to say you believe in God doesn't mean you know him. To say you believe in God doesn't mean that you worship him. To say, oh, I believe in God doesn't even mean that you obey him. You simply say, yeah, I believe there is a God. Now, why is it that so many people would, would make that Profession. Well, I think one of the reasons is because through advances in science, we know a lot more things about creation than we did, say, 50 years ago. The more scientific discoveries we have, the more I think it validates the word of God. And I think the more we find out about our universe, I think fewer and fewer people are just willing to stick their necks out and say, I believe all of this just happened by random accident. Again, I think the more that we know and that we learn about the universe, fewer and fewer people are willing to say, I believe all of this just came about by random accident. I'll tell you this, I think it takes more faith to believe there's no God than it does to believe in one. I think it takes more faith to say there is no creator, there is no designer, and that all of this happened from just one big bang. Every time you look at a painting, you know it came from a painter. Whenever you see a building, you know it came from a builder. Whenever you see a watch, you always know the watch came from a watch maker. Where there is creation, you have to know it came from 
a creator. Wherever there is an effect, there always has to be a cause. So when there is design, there must be a designer. I love this verse in Romans 1.20. Since the creation of the world, back at Genesis 1.1, God's invisible qualities. Now, what, is, what are those? Well, Paul tells us it's his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. And what Paul's saying is you can, you can go outside today and just look at creation and God has built into creation the very fact that he exists and that he has these invisible um, qualities, uh, his eternal power. You see that in lightning, in uh, tornadoes, in earthquakes. I mean, all of that is a testament to God's uh, eternal power and his divine nature. Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies Again, when he's talking about the skies when we look up and see clouds and sun. The skies display his craftsmanship. Now get this, day after day after day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night after night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard yet. Their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. That's why Paul says back in Romans chapter one, he says, we're without excuse. God has made his existence known, clearly known in many, many, many ways. And that's why the scripture says it's, it's the fool who says in their heart, there is no God. So the real issue for most is not, is there a God? I think that's a given for most people. I think where most people struggle is what kind of God is he? What's he really like? Does it matter? The problem is a lot of people have some very, very strange unbiblical ideas about who God is and what he's like. And unfortunately, we get a lot of those ideas about God when we uh, you know, often hear him talked about as our heavenly father. And we, off, we right away just kind of think of him uh, as a parent. And oftentimes when we think about God as a parent, we kind of, we kind of go back to our earthly parents which can be tragic because if your father was detached and unloving, you kind of just automatically think, well, if God is a fire father, he also must be very unloving and detached. I grew up with that kind of a dad and that was kind of my understanding of God. There is a God, but he, he's just kind of unloving. He's uninvolved. He's kind of detached. If your parent was somebody who was to be feared, then you, know, you would kind of think of God as kind of somebody that you needed uh, to kind of be fearful of. Maybe you had a parent that was abusive and you kind of tend to think, well, God's probably like that too. If your parent was uncaring, oftentimes again, we'll take those human traits and we'll kind of just transfer them on to God. Instead of God making 
us in his image, we often work very, very hard at making him in our image. And this is one of the reasons why we are blessed to have God's word. It was inspired by God. When I talk about that word inspiration or inspired, what I mean by that is God personally oversaw the process of his word being written through fallible men, but these men were inspired, they were filled, they were moved, they were directed by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. And the more we read and understand the word of God, the more we'll come to know the true God. And this is, again, part of the first phase we cover in our strategic discipleship program. It's kind of a very basic, fundamental, foundational introduction to the Christian faith. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Bible? So the second step to recovery, again, it begins by acknowledging God's existence. Second step in this recovery is not just to acknowledge his existence, but really to go on and to understand his nature and his character. What is God really like? And again, until we really kind of begin to know what God is truly like, we'll never trust him. We'll never love him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. I'm not gonna trust somebody or someone that I don't know. And fortunately for us, again, God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And one of the ways that he does that is he does that through the word. Another way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us was in sending his son, Jesus Christ. So over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to us as God in human flesh. God came to this earth as a man named Jesus Christ. And God says, this is what I am like. And that's why we celebrate at Christmas the coming of Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. I love this verse. I, I, can, I get lost in this verse just thinking about this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That blows my mind. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And then a few verses later, verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. If you wanna know what God is like, just look at Jesus because he is the visible expression of the invisible God. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said in John 14, nine, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you're reading about Jesus and studying his life, you will learn a whole lot about the nature and character of God. And here's three specific things I want you to learn about God from Jesus that I think can help us as we move into recovery from our hurts, habits, and hangups. First is, God knows every detail about you and about your life. And part of those details are your very hurts, habits, and hangups. 
No matter how hard you've tried to hide that from other people, God sees, he intimately knows every hurt, habit, and hang-up you struggle with. Jesus said in Matthew verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 29, he says, what is the price of two sparrows? He said, it's one copper coin. And get this, not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your heavenly father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now that's easier for some than others, right? <laughs> Two. <laughs> One more than Dan. <laughs> so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I want you to understand, Jesus, he is reflecting the heart of God the Father. This is how God thinks. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups that are derailing your life. Some of you may be coming out of a tough week, maybe a tough month, or maybe just a tough year. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 139. I, I read this Psalm a lot. Oh Lord, you have examined, you have known my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up you know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I am at rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say a word, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great to understand. God, you made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God? They cannot be numbered. I've said this to you over and over and over again. If God were to ever speak to any of you, it would not be words of condemnation. It would not be words of, of you need to get it together. What God would speak to you would be these precious thoughts he thinks towards you. That's what he would say to you if you were to hear him speak. He wants to affirm us. He wants to speak those precious thoughts over each one of us. And again, God knows more about you than you know about yourself and he loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing in your life escapes 
his notice and he sees every detail regarding your life no matter how minute it may look and seem to you i don't i don't know the point of knowing the number of hairs on my head but he knows it and he cares about it god knows the good days you're having the bad days he knows the amazing things that you have done as well as the dumb stunts you've pulled. He knows our good decisions and our foolish decisions and he still amazingly loves us. The fact is God is not shocked by your sin. You may be, I may be, but God isn't. You do something wrong, God even knows why you did it, what motivated you. Even when you maybe don't even know what motivated you to do the dumb thing that you did. He's not shocked, he's not surprised, he's not disappointed. He knows you inside and out and he chooses to love you and to have a plan and a purpose that will bless and prosper you and to help you overcome every hurdle and every obstacle in your life. That's the kind of God he is. Second thing we learn about God through Jesus is God cares about our situation. He cares about everything you are going through. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, come to me, all of you, every one of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I'm just gonna watch you. I'll just give you more heavy loads and burdens to carry. No, he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is exactly how God the Father is as well. What is true of Jesus is true of God the Father. The things that wear you and I out, the heavy burdens we carry are just as concerning to God as they are to you and he wants to help you. I shared this story, I think it was maybe last year, we had a, a very, very tall pine tree in our yard that just completely died. And ended up being out there for a couple of years and I knew that I needed to do something with this tree, I just didn't know exactly what to do. And so I decided one Saturday morning, I was just gonna go out and I'm just gonna start trying to cut limbs down. And I'm gonna do as much as I can do. I'm gonna take this tree as far as I can take it in getting it down. So I started with, you know, the lower branches, you know, standing on the ground. I had an extension saw. I had all kinds of things to get a lot of branches, but I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get them all. And I even climbed up on the roof of the house to continue trying to get as many of the limbs, the dead limbs, off this tree as I could get. I was even on the very edge of the house, tiptoeing, leaning, trying to get 
everything I could possibly get off of that tree. But I reached a point in cutting that tree down where I said, I've done all I can. I've taken this tree as far as I can go. And I, I didn't have a plan for the next step. So I just remember uh, getting down. I, I went in the house. I sat down in my chair and just right away said, okay, God, you know, I've taken this as far as I can go. I don't, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what the next step is, but I've taken this as far as I can go. I've done everything I can do. Five minutes later, I'm not kidding you, there was a knock at the door and it was my neighbor. And he said, yeah, I saw you out there, you know, with cutting the limbs down on the tree. And he said, I'm guessing you want to take that tree down. And I, I said to him, I do. I said, but I have done all that I can do. I don't know what to do next. And he said, well, that's why I came over. I'm going to help you. And so he went out there and helped me uh, bring the rest of that tree down, kind of uh, cut it up. And, and again, God cares about those kinds of of things. And, and it's just when we, uh, and again, we do all we can do. We need to do that. We, we can't just sit and expect God to do everything. He, he works with us. He, he, we're we're co-laborers with God, the scripture says. So we got to do what we need to do, but then also trust that God's going to step in and do what we can't. Now you may be sitting and you're thinking, pastor, a dead tree in the yard, uh, I mean, that is, that's child's play compared to what's going on uh, in my life. Getting rid of a dead tree is kind of the least of my problems. But I share that story with you to remind you, no matter the situation you are in, God is always one or several steps ahead of you and has a plan, even when you feel like you're at the end of the road or you say, I've done all that I can do. We just have to come to him, lay our burdens before him, and he gives us rest and results. Third thing I learned about God through Jesus is that he can change me and he can change my situation. Sometimes he changes me, sometimes he changes the situation, sometimes he changes both. I think of the woman who's caught in adultery and she's brought to Jesus by these men with stones and they want to condemn her. They want to stone her to death. So they're standing there with rocks in their hands ready to kill this woman. And they ask Jesus, what would you do, Jesus? Remember, Jesus tells them, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. The scripture says one by one, they leave until it's just Jesus and this adulterous woman. And Jesus asked her, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none who remain. In that moment, Jesus changed the situation. And then Jesus says to the woman, nor do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. In that moment, Jesus changes the woman. So in that encounter, Jesus changes both the situation and the person. And God longs to do the same in each one of us. Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible for you is possible with God. Isn't that good news? The Bible says nothing is too hard for God. 
It's patty cake for God. But I can't. I'm here to tell you, nothing is impossible with God. And that situation that seems hopeless isn't. In fact, I can give you examples of people in this church who were impossible situations a month, six months, a year ago, and God turned it around for them. For some of us here this morning, the next step we need to take in our difficult situation is to accept that God exists and he is a rewarder. He is here to help those who diligently seek him. And when we do that, here's what God has to offer. Philippians 2.13, for God is at work within you, giving you the will and power to achieve his purpose. God wants to work on the inside of you. God wants to work in you and help you get through those hurts, those habits, those hangups. And he will give you the, the power to accomplish his plans and his purposes for your life. God is, is gonna say to us, our willpower on our own is not enough. Our good intentions alone are not enough. What we need is God's will. We need God's power to help us change. And he says, I will give you that. And the Bible tells us exactly what happens when we invite God's spirit into our lives. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. That's what we need. We need God's power. We need the power of Christ that can help us to break those habits that we can't break. I want Christ's power to do the things I know are right, but just can't seem to do them on my own. I want Christ's power to break free from the past and to be able to let go of those memories that continue to haunt and to trigger certain reactions in me. I want the power to get on with the kind of life God wants me to live. That's the power Christ offers. Then I want love. I wanna be able to love and to be loved. I wanna be able to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love other people the way God loves me. That's the kind of power and love that God gives. God also gives us, again, self-discipline, self-control, restraint. Again, we all need that. There's a principle in the universe that we're all familiar with and we use on a daily basis. Again, this may sound really simple, but I think it is profound. And that is things work best when plugged in. You ever found that? You go to use something and then you discover it's not plugged in. Toasters, blenders, televisions, radio, things work best when they're plugged in and God meant for you and I to be plugged into him. How do I plug into God's power? Again, real simple, believe and receive. Listen again to this verse from Hebrews eleven six. I'm gonna close with this. Anyone, which includes everyone, anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder for those who sincerely seek him. Isn't it amazing how simple God makes things? All we gotta do is believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. Let's stand together 
uh, and pray this morning. Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, that anyone who wants to come to you, what an invitation. Anyone can come to you this morning. That God, there's no barrier, there's no exceptions, there's, there's nothing. Everyone can come to you this morning if we simply believe you exist. And that Father, out of that acknowledgement of your existence comes an incredible promise that you will reward those of us who diligently, sincerely seek you. So Father, I pray for those that maybe have never come to acknowledge your existence this morning. That God, maybe through something that was shared this morning, God, maybe just through an, an impression upon their spirit, their heart this morning, Maybe there's just that knocking at the door of their heart this morning, God, that they again would just open that door, God, that they would acknowledge your existence, that they would just invite you in. And Father, I thank you for the many ways that you reveal yourself to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we acknowledge that your son Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. When we see him, we see you. When we hear him, we hear you. And we thank you for the many ways you've revealed yourself to us. So God, I pray for those who have not yet done that, God, that you would give them the faith to acknowledge your existence. Today is the day of salvation. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you exist. And we thank you, God, that you are a rewarder. You are a good giver. You are a loving Father. And God, you long. It is your very nature, it is your very heart to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So Father, this morning, for those of us that do believe, God, make us diligent, sincere seekers of you. Not for the rewards, but because the rewards are an acknowledgement of your goodness, of your kindness, of your compassion, of your care, of your concern for us, your children. And Father, again, we thank you that you give us love, power, and self-discipline, self-control, self-restraint. That God, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And Father, help us, Lord, to receive those into our lives, Father, that you can use those, Father, to help us to overcome the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups in our life. Father, we pray you'll go and be with us this week. Bless us and keep us. And Father, again, we thank you for all that you're doing to reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're just here this morning.